Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. everybody. Welcome to yet another edition of RZ Weekly. We're back after our extended Pesach break. Welcome back to all of you. We hope you had a wonderful, happy and kosher Pesach. I am here with Rabbanit Mali Brabski. Rabbanit Mali Brabski has a long resume of incredible things that she does. She's an educator, a teacher, a social worker, a therapist. Did I miss anything? Mm. <laughs> nope. How you doing, Rabbanit Brabski? Yeah, fan. I'm here with Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Rabbi Johnny Solomon is a teacher, an educator, a speaker, a curriculum writer, and a very wise man. Rabbi Johnny, um, how are you today? I am very well. Thank you okay. for asking. Thank you both for taking the time. My name is Ruben Spolter. I am the director of Kita.org. And, uh, and uh, also, a little bit of news, I am now the, the coordinator of the Rimonim program for teacher education uh, at the Herzog Academic College at Herzog Global. So join us at Herzog Global. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to uh, start this position. If you have any comments or questions about it, yeah, send me an email. I'm easy to find. Okay, today is the, uh, we're, in, we're in the week leading up to Yom HaAtzma'ut. And we thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk about the idea of religious Zionism in, our, in, in Jewish communities and specifically in, I would call them, um, diaspora-centered Jewish communities. We're going to focus on three specific areas. The first area is the idea of religious Zionism in seminaries and yeshivot in Israel. That would be area number one. Okay, is Aliyah preached? We're going to specifically, is Aliyah preached in yeshivot and seminaries? And should it be? So we're going to ask uh, Johnny, Rabbi Johnny and Mali, especially because uh, they've taught in these uh, yeshivot and seminaries more extensively than I have. The second area we'd like to get to is the idea of schools. Right? In, and schools specifically in the Gola. I have taught in schools in the Gola as well as has Rabjani in different continents. And, uh, and definitely religious Zionism, Zionism per se is an important part of schools, but we, we'd like to sort of uh, unravel and try to unwrap a little bit how and why. And finally, what's the role of a shul or specifically religious, religious leadership? We'd like to sort of discuss, pull on that thread as rabbis, if you're a rabbi here and a shul rabbi in the diaspora, you're struggling with making aliyah, 
I made Aliyah. I was a Shur Rabbi. Rabbi Johnny was an educator. Molly never was an educator in the Gola because she made Aliyah before she could be an educator in the Gola. I so actually taught one year. I had a wonderful experience. I want to just say thank you to Dr. Rivka Blau, who was my principal. I taught in Shavach one year, and it was absolutely wonderful. And then you left Shavach. Molly abandoned the, Amer the American Jewish community yeah. to make Aliyah. Okay, so let's start. We're going to start with Yeshivot and seminaries. And I guess I'll start with Molly. Malu, I'll ask you the way we we the way we um we we wrote it. Okay, is Aliyah preached? Do you think Aliyah is preached in yeshivot and seminaries? And do you think it should be? Right. Okay. So first of all, I think it, I think it depends on the seminary, right? But it certainly is in many seminaries. Um, do I think it should be? This is what I think. I definitely think that Zionism should be taught. Um, history should be taught. Uh, the, the history of the state of Israel, his Jewish history, the centrality of Israel. Um, do I think it's okay? I think it's a trickier question when it comes to do you think Aliyah should be preached? Because obviously, I have very strong feelings on the issue, and maybe that's how I'll enter the question and answer it, which is I, for example, in the week before Yom Atzma'ut and Yom Azikaron, I take um, a class on Yom Zikaron, I take a class on Yom Yom I have a class also on Yom Yerushalayim, um, and, I, and I explicitly teach about Zionism, I teach about the centrality of the State of Israel, I, I address some of the questions that the students might have, um, especially my students who are coming sometimes from backgrounds that are less modern Orthodox, and so they are coming from a more Haredi slash Yeshivish perspective, and they're not necessarily, uh, they haven't grown up in Zionistic environments, and so they might have questions. And so I hit them hard with the Zionism. Now, does that mean that I preach and teach Aliyah? This is where it gets more tricky, because I believe the following, which is what I... Wait, I am trying to understand. What do you mean when you say, I hit them hard with I hit the them Zionism. hard with the Zionism means, I, 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 I you know, I, I talk about... Um, well, I basically just demonstrate to them how how patently obvious it seems to me that um, the state of Israel is a um, is moving us into a new historical reality. Seems to me um, that it's difficult to not see the hand of God. Um, I, I talk about it from a Soloveitchik perspective as an incredible opportunity and challenge to the Jewish people historically. Um, and I, I talk about gratitude and appreciation for what we have. Um, and, um, and then I kind of leave the implication of that to them now, meaning be why, because so you're saying you just don't say, and for that reason, you'd be I, crazy I not to live in Israel. You should make Aliyah. I, I say, this is why I made Aliyah, right? I also say, I, I you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable, you know, like saying, um, again, like I'll read other people's writings, I'll say, I think the future of the, of, of the Jewish people, I think this is the heart of where the future of the Jewish people is. I'll say all, all kinds of things like that. Now, again, ironically, that part's so obvious to me, but I feel like I need to say the other side of this, which is not all our students are going to make Aliyah. And I think that there's a danger when we do a jing jingoistic, you must make Aliyah. Um, I think that, first of all, I, I think that, that people, there that, um, it can become very judgmental about people whose families have not chosen to make Aliyah, and I think that that's unhealthy. I think that not everybody chooses to make Aliyah in the end, and I think you need to make space for people to make individual choices that work in their lives. Um, I think you can't you can't give people the message that if they don't make Aliyah, they're a bad Jew or they're doing something wrong. I think 
you need what if people are going to come here, they should come here because it's the because they believe in it. Um, and, and, and here's what I really think. This is I remember I once heard this about Kirov, right? So so somebody said at a certain point, like if the Torah is we believe the Torah is good enough and true enough and honest enough that it speaks for itself. I don't have to sell Torah. I just have to teach Torah and expose Torah. And if I believe that that Torah is powerful and it, it, it is, is the truth and is so powerful, all I have to do is kind of expose people to the beauty of it. And and I don't have to sell it. So I think the same thing about Zionism and Aliyah. I think that my job is to, again, explain why I think Israel is so central, why I think Zionism is important. And then I think I leave it up to other people to draw conclusions about what's right for themselves. I explain what's right for me. By the way, MMI has at the end of the year always an Aliyah panel. Um, and and that leaves space. We, we all tell our individual stories. We answer questions. But I think we do have to make space for um, clarity about, you know, a, you know, like, I think a rah-rah approach, sometimes people feel like they have to come. Coming at the wrong time is is definitely worse than, the, do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes if you before you're ready, that can be worse than, like, waiting until, as clearly, it obviously is worse than waiting until the right time. And, and again, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to finish with one thing. Um, you know, there are a lot of shikalim. I've had students who've called me over the years with real questions, questions about spouses who are find meaning in chutz la'aretz and, and like, you know, does that make them bad if they always wanted to make aliyah, but now, like, they want to support their spouse and, and, and that means, you know, staying in Israel. I had, I had a student just recently tell me that I gave, told my personal story about how I dated somebody. It was a totally, like, crazy situation. We went out on our first date and it, he said to me, oh, it's obvious to me that you want to make Aliyah and you clearly are like trying to tell me that. And I was like, I was not trying to tell you that. I guess I just really love Israel and it keeps coming out of my conversation. And he said, well, listen, I, I, I don't want to make Aliyah and I just had a bad relationship breakup over that. So tell me now whether you want to make Aliyah or not. And and I said, that made me think about my priorities. And even though it was a nice date, um, I decided not to go out again because that was a priority for me. And then I had a student call me and say that she was, I hope this is not too real to about the student, let me try to make it very broad. She remembered that story and it was affecting her dating decisions. And I was so horrified that I could perhaps ruin a shidduch because of a story that I told. So obviously I contacted the student and we had a very good conversation. But like what I'm saying is everybody has to make their own decisions on, based on what's right for them in their own lives. And I think we have to be very sensitive to that and very careful about that. And recognize that you can be a good Jew and not make Aliyah. You can be a Zionist and not make Aliyah. Um, I, I I think that the way I view it now is I'm privileged to live here. It's not something I think has to be an injunction. I think if you if you if you're privileged enough to live here, then you have to count yourself lucky. So I, I, I there's so much there to unpack. But before we get to Rev. Johnny, it's mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you is is something I think is not about Aliyah, but it's more about your entire worldview. Meaning, if if somebody came to you and says and said, uh, Rabbi Dibrovsky, do I have to? I don't know, basically anything in the Torah, you would never say to that person, you have to, or, you know, you would never impose your view. If they ask you, you might say it's a mitzvah, well, but I, you're not, I mean, so it sounds to me like, like you said about Kiruv, you don't believe in Kiruv the way it's normally practiced either, meaning imposing your view. You you present and teach and say, and say. No, but I'm and, saying, like, you're right. Like, let's say somebody said, let's say somebody said, do I have to keep. My bad Jew if I don't keep Shabbat. Right, and I would say, well, if you bought you, into this, no, I would say if you decided that you have that you're keeping halacha, then yes, you got to keep Shabbos. My bad, Jew, if I don't make aliyah. 
So, right. So I would say no, because I don't view it as a formal mitzvah. Again, if you decide, first of all, you have to decide for yourself whether you think it's a formal mitzvah, but I don't relate to it in terms of a formal mitzvah. You are not a bad Jew if you don't make Aliyah. Okay. Um, this is what I wanted to understand. But this is why I think that, that like, this is why I made Aliyah, and this is, you know, why I think Aliyah is something that in general, um, it, I think is a, is a good life choice. So you okay? I understand. So you don't think about it in term in formal terms, mitzvah ki you meet or mitzvah right. ki you meet. You don't think no, about it that way. I you don't. Think more I about... don't think that's a healthy way to think about it. I th- okay. A healthier way to think about it is in terms of historical, religious, um, divine imperatives. Okay, I want to turn to Rabbi Johnny. Rabbi Johnny, first speak please to your how do you approach it from your experience? We're talking about seminaries and yeshivot. And I know you've been more in seminaries than yeshivot, but please also give, do you think that it's it's preached in the seminaries in which you are, you teach? And do you think it should be? Um, in the seminaries where I currently teach, I currently only teach in, in one seminary, I would say it's promoted and celebrated, but not preached. Although just two weeks ago, I had a conversation with two students of a different seminary who were um, complaining, if I could use that term, about how they felt that Aliyah had been preached to them and they felt pretty lousy given the fact they were both going back to their home country and weren't planning to make Aliyah. So, and, and we had to then kind of dissect why they felt why they felt that and uh, uh, and the kind of baggage they had. And they said, but I do want to make Aliyah, but I don't quite know why uh, and I'm not quite sure when. And then we discussed the pragmatic questions of what's a good time, what's not a smart time. And I agree with Mali. I've always said to my students, both in Midrash at Lindenbaum, but also Machon Mayan and Midrash at Torah Tresed, uh, my general rule of thumb is uh, to have a successful aliyah, especially med- making aliyah on your own, you need to have two of the three of a very clear plan and a strong network of friends or family. If you don't have two of the three, it's not a good thing to come at this moment in time. Uh, that doesn't mean, of course, I don't ideologically believe it's a good idea to come to Israel, but I know a lot of floaters in Israel who came without a plan, who came based on, and I want to use a, a distinction of language, who came on a crush rather than properly falling in love. You know, uh, I, I, I also think that sometimes we use overly formal frameworks about how we speak about Israel. We have a, a passionate relationship with Israel. Um but nevertheless, when you preach about Israel to people who are very impressionable, sometimes they can develop a crush. And now crushes aren't really real. They do feel that they're real, but they're not really real. They're driven by heart, very little about mind, and often they're not based on any kind of grounding. And I meet people sometimes who, who basically aren't realizing that they're saying, I have a crush about Israel. I say, that's wonderful. And then I tell them, have two of the three if this is really what you want to do. Fantastic. I think it's wonderful. Um, but I try and help them make sure they have a clear plan. But even if you do fall in love with Israel in a very real way, you know, falling in love still requires certain checks and balances. You still have to be pragmatic. Uh, you need to make sure that this is a good relationship for you, one where you're going to blossom. I myself have had a very, I've loved Israel since uh, I was born. I came here many, many times. I have a lot of family here, but I made Aliyah late. So I recognize the fact that sometimes a person can be living overseas and be involved in many fine things. And though they can deeply love Israel, at that moment in time, they feel their calling is elsewhere. And I have a number of friends who are at least, if not significantly more, passionately Zionist than I, who've made the 
self-sacrifice to remain in the diaspora because they're working for the community, helping a lot of people. It's not easy for them, but they know that their contribution is significant. So, John, I want, I want to come back so, to that later, but I want to speak specifically about, so in your experience, it's not preached? Or it's In my experience, it's preached in some places. It's taught in others. Um, and especially those places where it's preached, uh, you there'll be those who make very gung-ho decisions about making Aliyah. Some will move here soon after Yeshiva Seminary. Of those, some will have a successful Aliyah. Some, unfortunately, may not, at least for the first few years. And some, when they leave, may feel that, as you said before, to use your term, they're a bad Jew. And that's a shame, because that shouldn't be the attitude a Zionist young man or woman feels about Israel when they felt that their calling at this moment in time is elsewhere or their obligations sometimes have perhaps parents have to look after etc and those obligations need to be met what would you say to someone I don't think that that's most young people it's interesting you use the word falling in love or a crush which is our emotional descriptions is Aliyah or I imagine that all these places all these seminaries have courses in, I would call it intellectual Zionism, the underpinnings of, and what Molly said is like not like halachic aspects of or things of that nature. Is that, would that be accurate or they don't really go into that? Uh, I, would, I would say that you, you, from, from my experience as a learner and from my settings where I've taught, it, it would be absurd to claim that any classes, even if it's called Zionism, doesn't come with a huge backpack of emotions. That doesn't mean facts aren't taught there, but facts are taught with a tone, uh, and they're taught with a love. They're often taught, don't forget, in a lot of these yeshivot and seminaries, the people who are teaching are olim. Right. Like literally, you're wearing a badge on your shoulder saying, I've moved here, and it really means a lot to me. And I'm not sure um, every so place has Even where the facts are taught, I don't yeah. think they're, they're taught cold and dry. I don't think they necessarily should be, but there is kind of almost a continuum between teaching Zionism with some passion and preaching Zionism with a certain insistence. Uh, and I think... Wait, Johnny, uh, why do you well, say you don't think, you're not sure it should be? Meaning there are, there are, there are primary texts of uh, religious Zionism. And I would, you know, even if you want to go to the, the latest ones of Talach Hermon, or Rav Avinir, or Eimer Banim Smecha, or, or books, of that, books of that nature that... That it, that okay, th those are not objective Zionist. No, texts. they're not. They're not objective. I didn't say they're but meaning neither is Shmirat Shabbat Kilchata. Shmirat Shabbat Kilchata. Nobody has a problem studying that book. It's obviously a a polemic book that emphasizes. It assumes that you should keep Shabbat, but nobody says. Well, I don't know if I'm going to learn Shmirat Shabbat Kilchata because I'm a Shomer Shabbat, and obviously I'm brainwashing these kids that they also should be Shomer Shabbat. And I know it's an extreme example, but, but I don't think that's true, Ruby. I think it's it, it's. I'm not, my job is not to brainwash kids to be Shomer Shabbat. My job is if these kids are in this institution, they want to learn Hachot Shabbat, I'm going to go back to my same thing. So therefore, I'm going to give them the tools if they want to do it. I think it's the same thing here. I think, I, I, I actually don't think there should be, again, should there perhaps be an optional offering in Ehebam Smecha? Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant about, I, I'm, I'm with Johnny. I think it's much more effective that people's natural love of Eretz Yisrael and, and their Zionist fervor comes through in, again, around certain times of year, Yom Atzimot, Yom Azikaron, Yom Yerushalayim, yes, then there's time and place to, to go into it. But I, I'm not, it's not, I'm not convinced that 
a seminary is is a space that is necessary to have history of Zionism. I'm not, you know. I'm oh, okay, so I'm going to respond. I'm going to push back to both of you because I actually come at it very much from the from the I would say from the intellectual point of view, from the from not from less from the emotional point of view. I'll, I, I guess I'll tell a story of mine. So when I was, um, I guess when I when I was a rabbi in Detroit, when I was a rabbi in Detroit, there was a man I can say his name. Lowellaine, his name was Dr. Joe Weiss, wonderful, wonderful man. And when we first um, moved in, a couple, maybe a year later, I don't remember, his wife and he, they had us over for Shabbat. And he loved this book called Ema Banim Semecha. He loved it. But he was only reading it in English. But I remember he took me into his study and he showed this and I have this book. And, uh, and he would underline passages that were meaningful to him. It was just something that was just meaningful to him. And Lowellaine, really, it was like terrible tragedy. Maybe two years later, I don't remember how many years later, he was driving actually on the way from Detroit to Toronto to visit his, his daughter in Israel. He had a flight to Israel and he was killed in a car crash. He was killed in a single car accident. In, in, you know, and he was, it was just a terrible thing. And I, I said, we cannot let this pass by Al Seder Hayom. And it was for a reason that he showed me this book. And I initiated, I had a shiur in my house a Thursday night, like Chabura, and I just, we're going to learn Ema Banim Smecha in his memory. And it took us like three or four years. And... At the end of the three or four years, we made, made a sea and we came to Israel. You know what I'm saying? It was just something that became part of my... And with, without a doubt, I really strongly believe that if I had not immersed myself intellectually in the study of... Yes, it was... I meaning, obviously, Rav Teichta was pretty pro, you know, the Jewish state. But if, had I not immersed myself in, in this, I, these ideas, I never would have been able to consider or wrap my head around, like, moving to Israel. Well, that's my point. One second. I, I, I want, Wait, I want me, to tell you because. My, let me finish my point. Sure. So, like, I was like in my shul. I mean, I'm holding it up for you to see on our, on our, on a little chat. This is a book called Hayinu Kechomim, Pirkei Limud Amidina Israel. And it's all full of like texts about, about like from like the land of Israel, things that are basic fundamental texts of what it means to be a Jew. You know, Lech Lecha, the idea of what it means to be an Am. My feeling is that growing up as a child in America, or I don't know, in England, I think, in, in the Gola, your whole perception of what it means to be a Jew is fundamentally different than one's perception of what it means to be a Jew growing up in Israel. Your perception of nationality, your perception of religion, all of these things are fundamentally foreign to you because it's very difficult to be raised in a, in a certain environment, a cultural environment, where religion and state are fundamentally different things, and then to try to appreciate, have any sense of what it means to have those be the same. You know, and, like and a, a British person who's in a, who's a, who's a, what's it, what's it called? What kind of, uh, kind of Christianity they practice there? Um, um, well, Anglican Christian in the English church, he has no conflict with his identity as an Anglican and a, and a British person. The king is the head of the church or the queen or whatever it is. On the other hand, a Jew has a bifurcated identity. And without a formal sense of study, without some kind of curriculum, without teaching children that these are our core texts, and instead of just reading them and with reading them with this sensitivity and studying them with this perspective, there's no way for a child, even if they come here to Israel, to have that sense, especially if they're in a, an American or a, uh, you know, an Anglo seminary. There's no way for them to come to that appreciation, that, oh my God, moment that, hold on, this whole idea of what it is that I am, my self-identity, it could be much more than that. It could be much deeper than that. 
And that's why I think when you say, like, I don't know if we should have a, a course of study, to me, we're not giving our children, we're not giving these children the opportunity to have that sense that they, they just can't have it if they don't live here. But we're not giving them at least an intellectual ability to come to these things if we're not teaching them the fundamental texts that when you read them again, they're just, they're, they're kind of obvious. But without reading them with that, with that bent, they're, they're never going to be able to appreciate it until they make Aliyah, until they come here and raise their children here. So I'd like to first hear from Johnny, but before we get his answer, we'll take a quick break. Daily Torah study is essential to living a meaningful Jewish life. Whatever your background or level of observance, Torah study each day engages the mind, enriches the soul, connects us to God, and gives our lives direction and meaning. But to be honest, most of us need a framework. As much as we'd love to learn every day, left to our own devices, life inevitably gets in the way. Our good intentions fall by the wayside. Hi, this is Ruvain Spolter, and I invite you to come join me in the free daily learning program you've been looking for. I call it the Mishnah Project. I created the Mishnah Project to teach daily Mishnah over YouTube. Why choose Mishnah for your daily learning? First of all, Mishnah is manageable and concise. You can learn two Mishnayot in about 10 minutes a day. The Mishnah Project is understandable and clear. You'll not only be hearing the Mishnah, but seeing the text and visual aids to help you understand the Mishnah clearly. Finally, the Mishnah Project is comprehensive. Studying just two Mishnayot a day, you'll finish the entire Shas in under six years. To join the Mishnah Project for free, simply go to mishnah.co slash join, where you'll find links to the WhatsApp group, the Telegram group, our YouTube channel, and even our podcast feed. That's mishnah with an H dot C-O slash join. And start your journey toward completing Shas today. And we're back. Johnny, you wanted to respond. So, so just a, a little bit of either pushback or clarification. First and foremost, Abraham Smechaus certainly was uh, a uh, foundational volume amongst the many when I was in Yeshiva in Kerem uh, uh, And more recently, what I've been teaching in Midrash Torah Chesed, I gave a course for a number of years on Shivat Zion and Sefer Ezra. And Abraham Smechaus basically is a super commentary of sorts on Sefer Ezra. So I'm... Uh, I, I'm I certainly not against. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right. I'm so, right. So I'm certainly not against teaching that part of that sefer. I'm certainly, certainly not against teaching sefer Ezra. The, but that wasn't your question. The question was: Should we be teaching a class on Zionism in terms of history? Shall we say cold facts, or should we be preaching Aliyah? And really, when I gave a course on sefer Ezra, it was something quite different, which is introducing young Jews to their heritage, a sefer or two, including Sefer Nehemiah of Tanakh, where we have this extraordinary inspirational story of a return to Zion by some Jews, but by no means all, which is itself so significant in terms of parallels between then and now, where a whole variety of issues are, are brought to bear in terms of the opposition to that movement, which we also saw and, and continue to see in the modern day. But what is a, a lekach? What's a take-home when you learn Sefer Ezra and Sefer Nehemiah? And what even is a take-home when you learn Sefer Ezra? It is that Israel is a central feature of being Jewish. Israel is a central land uh, of 
the Jewish people, Israel is a centerpiece of the Tanakh of the Bible. But that doesn't necessarily say wait, wait, but Johnny, uh, whenever I, I meet a Jew, I should point them the and say, you assuming, must make Aliyah. Johnny, the thing you're assuming, you, you're, you're assuming a fundamental element that's never, almost never said, or I was never taught it. Israel is a fundamental element of the Jewish people. The Jewish people is a nation. It's an Am. It's not a religion. You are fundamentally identifying as a member of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. That is who you are. Now, because of that, you have a connection to this land that is your land. It's so and I promise you, you think it's obvious. I promise you, it's not obvious. So, no, well, this is this is what Rabbi Sachs, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a nation, it's a race, and it's a religion, it's all three. That's what makes Judaism so unique. Sorry, man. No, yeah. no, sorry. I just wanted to say that it's so fascinating what you're saying, Ruby, because to me, almost, it was it's obvious that, I mean, first of all, you're giving me food for thought, and I do think that it's an important and good question about, yes, formally teaching a curriculum, and I want to say that I feel very fortunate that not, when I was in ninth grade, I had a class called Zionism um, with an excellent teacher, um, Mrs. Judy Sokolow, and that class served me in great in great stead, and and it was really valuable to actually have a formal class in the history of the establishment of the state of Israel. Um, and I think it is lacking; people don't have it. And so, even beyond the question of what Johnny and I were arguing, which is the reason that you should teach the facts is because it should arouse the love. I think the argument you're making for a for a formal curriculum, you know, formal education in Zionism is is really important. But what, what struck me the most is that. To me, I almost, I almost had the opposite experience of, uh, that you had. It was obvious to me always that everything I learned, like there's no book of Tanakh you can really learn without understanding that Israel is central to the Jewish, Eretz Israel is central to the Jewish people. And what I find fascinating is, ironically, because I was in a Haredi elementary school, that sense of nationhood, and I needed to tell me whether you had a similar experience, Ruby, in your experience and, you know, like, a, you know, in, in growing up. But... Like, I feel like when I transferred from a Haredi institution to a modern Orthodox institution, one of the things that got lost in translation was that sense of nationhood. Like, Haredim have no problem because they really do believe that they're much more separate. So that sense of Am Yisrael was really there and that love of Eretz Yisrael was there. The Zionism wasn't there. But like... But so, so for me... You know what I'm saying? But, so, but, I do understand what you're saying, but for me, it was totally distinct from... It was like, yes, Eretz Yisrael... And yet, when they, when they say Am Yisrael, they don't mean they don't mean necessarily Am Yisrael as the Jewish people. They mean Yiddishkeit, meaning to me that's the way I understood well, okay, it. Okay, Yiddishkeit. I have that. I mean, I my identity. Like... I was raised to, to keep the Torah. I was raised to be a member of of Klal Yisrael. I hear you. I hear you. Now it's the same the... words. It's exactly the same I words. I hear you, but I feel but... like that sense of Yiddishkeit that we're a nation. Like I remember like singing songs about like. The Holocaust and how the world abandoned us, and like we are the, you know, like there's like a there is an Amlavadad Yishkom feeling going on in the Haredi world. Yes, but it's about the Haredi. I mean, I didn't want to get there, but that's about the Haredi community Maybe. being an Amlavadad Yishkom. So what I'm like the Gemara says, it's not it's not Am Yisrael. I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying I think that those are like you're just kind of making my wheels turn. That what needs to happen in Jewish education is. That those are the things that need to be fostered: a sense of nationhood, um, and then a sense of the centrality of the of the state of Israel to um, to full live, lived Jewish life, both in terms of Torah and mitzvot, and as you're saying, as as a as the ultimate realization of that nationhood. 
Um, and whether that should be taught formally or whether that should be like just obvious, you know, as Johnny says, like you can't teach Ezra Nehemiah. I don't think you can teach me Gladys there. Uh, you can't teach Sefer Shvarim. I know that's one of Johnny's. What I'm, I, you, like you teach? said, when you, what? when you learn me, once you're a religious Zionist, me, Gladys there has entirely different exactly. connotations. Uh, you were never given that in high school. I promise you that it's not taught at all. Maybe in some okay, so then unique right. modern Orthodox schools it is. I never learned all that stuff. Right. Ever. But again, what's safer? I challenge you to find me a, a safer of Tanakh in which uh, in which Eretz Yisrael is not a central theme. I challenge you to find me a safer Tanakh in which you couldn't religiousize it or firmify it in and such leave a it way out. so that it's not. So that's really. So what I'm saying is, I agree with you. That should be on the forefront of of, of Zionist educators. If, if modern Orthodox Zionist educators. Maybe they should have a curriculum, as you're saying, but also I think this should, they should be aware of this and, and this love of the Jewish people and this love of Eretz Yisrael and the centrality of Eretz Yisrael should come through. And again, it's not just in Tanakh. It's in Machshava. It's, in, it's everywhere. Oh, oh, I totally agree. That's why I'm saying, um, Johnny, and then I'll come to you in a yeah, second. Yeah, sorry, Johnny. That's why this, the primer to me is not about Zionism per se or Aliyah or preaching. It, it would be to me in my ideal, it's a course about, about, about identity. But what does it mean to be a Jew in the world ever, and especially today? And then that would, of course, raise all kinds of, and you, you know, and there are different perspectives on it, by the way. And it doesn't have to be preachy per se. And you should bring in, you know, the Haredi point of view, and then you should talk about the conservative and the reform point of view. It's a really, it, it, it raises a lot of issues that kids come up with, especially as they go to college, especially as they confront Aliyah. You don't have to necessarily then talk about, well, then you have to move to Israel. Obviously, if you belong to the people, and this is the nation state of the Jewish people, that raises issues that people will have to confront without necessarily preaching it. But I personally, I personally believe, like you said, like in ninth grade, I, I would dare to suggest that it was a formative class in your, like at that point in your life, in your thinking that had a fundamental like, effect the way you learned everything afterwards. And that's why to me it's mm -hmm. so important. It cannot be assumed. Yeah, I mean, I came from a family that was... Right, that was, that's so, true to you know. Johnny, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Johnny. And I, I, say, I, I want to take this theme and, and reflect it back. I mean, England's a little bit different to the States, but I, I'm, I was brought up as a Zionist, um, had a lot of family here, and, and I knew the history of modern Zionism, uh, and I developed a deep love of Israel as a religious expression of the Jewish people as a centerpiece, as say, in the Jewish religious story. So when I made Aliyah, uh, and this was um, coming up to nine years ago, I was moving to Medinat Israel, which is a modern expression of Eretz Israel In terms of borders, it's not exact, but that's, you know, I'm coming to Eretz Israel, which is now Medinat Israel. They're not exactly the same, but this is what we have now. And I, in many ways, I carried both those flags. That's what makes me, in some measure, a religious Zionist, right? I see Israel as being... A profoundly religious thing and I validate and I celebrate the endeavors to generate and and build and all the sacrifice it took to create uh, the modern state of Israel. However, in the kind of gathering we had a couple of friends and neighbors over in like the night or two nights before we made Aliyah um, and, and you know people have you know they want to be well-wishers and in my neighborhood there's been my old neighborhood there have been various changes and I was really struck by the fact that almost nobody was able to say both. Meaning, either people said, Bratzloch in Eretz Israel. I said, thanks, I'm also going to Israel. And they said, you know, good luck in Israel. I said, but I'm also going to Eretz Israel, right? I, I realized so few people had 
the perspective to me, of mine, which was it's hardly revolutionary, right? This is what we're talking about. But actually, it goes back to what you're saying. I sometimes, perhaps, I take for granted that those two things beautifully tie together through the learning, through what I see in the Tanakh, and through what we see in great rabbinic books. But certainly in the UK, and I think in many other parts of the Jewish world, you're either one or you're the other. Uh, and so what happens when people come to Israel? And this is, I think, why Yeshiva and Seminary is such an important moment. It's where young people who've either seen uh, their Jewish learning or living through either secular Zionism they've learned about in school or religion they've learned about in school or wherever else for that matter, they go to a place where everybody seems to understand that these are it's like the bass and the treble of a piece of music, that they come together. And that's what we have here. And they're like they're hearing things differently. They're seeing things differently, and there's an awakening which is so beautiful. Again, one has to be careful though as to what you do with those emotions from that awakening. And for some, it's a crush. For some, it's a real love. But certainly, it is something they haven't seen or heard so much before. Interesting. I wonder. Meaning, I, uh, Johnny, you and I both went to Israeli yeshivot. I went to Shalvim. You went to Kerem Yavne. Molly, where'd you go? You went mm -hmm. to Rabbiters. Lindenbaum, yeah. Linda, are you into Linda, Linda Baum? That's right. And there were Israelis there at the time too, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So all of us were exposed to, uh, I was exposed to just a fundamentally different experience than that which I had grown up with. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, when I was in America, you know, and, and nobody in my experience went to the army, you know, they married, the, Molly, did you anybody went to, you know, like, as opposed to like our grandparents that went to the, like, you know, served in World War II, Going to this armed service of the armed forces was it was a was a decidedly anti-religious thing. It was a sense of rebellion against how you grew up, and the idea of serving in the armed forces was like seriously. I would, I'm saying culturally an anathema to what it was that I was what I was raised to to do be and to understand. And all of a sudden, you come to a place and you see these soldiers coming and you have, I mean, anybody who's been to a, a Hezri Yeshiva for the first time, you come and you see these guys come in, you know, during their day off from, you know, on their, in their, when they're in their, you know, in their Sherut and they put the machine gun on the floor and they come and hear a shear. And like, all you can do as the student is try not to look at the, at the, at, you know, at the, at the machine gun, like sitting on the floor while like next to you in the seat next to you while you're trying to learn with your Chavruta. And there's this, just dissonance between those two things. Why is this guy, you know, and then it, it merges for you. I don't know if you don't have that experience. Yes, you see the people in the street, but if you come and you're particularly in a chutzla aret seminary, and you're basically with friends and people like you, and, and you're only really seeing olim, you're living a very, very, like you see the beauty of Eretz Israel, obviously, but you're living a very, very, you know, enclosed bubble kind of experience, even in Israel. And it's, I don't know if it's so easy to really see both sides, the base and the treble so much. I think it's a challenge. And I think that's something that, that has to be thought about in a deeper way, just to, to, to expose, like you said, the things that are so obvious to us, the two sides of, of our identity. You know, in my mind, this is really the fight that goes on in Israel all the time, the religion, the state, the Jewish identity, the religious identity, and that we, that we struggle with. But I don't know if our, if our students and our children are aware of even the fundamental dual identities that we have, and they, have then, and they should have that struggle too inside so of I, themselves. Molly. I think, first of all, that, that, that uh, at least the seminaries that I'm aware of do try to make an effort to educate towards that. 
And I want to add another piece, which is the fact that so many people are going on um, heritage and um, they go to Poland. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that we should use the Holocaust as a, um, as anything. <laughs> but I think that what ends up happening very often is that the experience of going to Poland actually does that fusing that you're describing for people because, mm. because they are hit so hard with Jewish identity and questions of Jewish identity. And they're hit so hard with the significance and the value of a Jewish state um, and, and, and the modern Jewish state and what it can provide for the Jewish people. I think without having to say one word about Zionism, it, it, it blends those two things. And again, I, I think I see that with my students because like- So I, I actually wanna, I wanna push back a little their bit. flags as they're walking through, you know, sure. and like, it's like, these are not kids modern orthodox zionists it's just so obvious to them that like their response to walking through a camp is to is to is to, is to wrap an israeli flag around themselves do, do you know what i'm saying it's just well, so, let, let so me, let natural me, let, and, and they, let me let me answer why i want to give you like it doesn't have to be you no 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 but yeah I, you're talking about a different just, kind of zionism you're talking about the fusing when that's I, something that fuses but that's an okay zionism there are, there are a lot of people who make aliyah from that place and that's, that's a fine, that, you know, like, they're allowed to make, people, you know, there can be many guvanim, there can be many shades of Zionism, and, and you know, people who make aliyah from, from that, again, you, you can come from so many places over, in the spectrum. And, and that's a powerful one, too. And it's, it, you know, if all, you, all the olim you know are from a more, you know, rapid shemesh, but that works for you, great, have that type of Zionism. I actually yeah. disagree with you about that. I'll say why. Like when we went to make aliyah, so we told, actually my son accidentally told me and his grandmother, who was of course devastated, aliyah shalom, safta. And when she finally agreed to talk to Rina again after like a couple of weeks of the silent treatment, she said, Rina, Israel is for the people that need it. It's not for people like you. Meaning safta was also an ardent Zionist. I love her to pieces, but her Zionism was one of, yes, we need Israel to protect the Jewish people. That's obviously why it's there. I, I'm looking for something, and I, and I, I, I'm looking to give my children or my students not the, the stick, Rav Teichta writes, you know, it's either you're going to Meshicha oh, yeah. or, you know, there's two ways of Meshicha, Rav Teichta writes. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I want to just clarify. Meaning, I want my students to come. I think they appreciate Israel not as a stick, not as an, oh my gosh, so that it can never happen again. I think they just fall in love with Israel as a, after having, like being hit in the face with, it's like back to what you were saying, like, you know, a, a, a American Jewry, they don't encounter what it actually means to be a um, persecuted minority. And then they're hit in the face with it. And then it's not, oh, I love Israel because now it's a place to run. It's, oh my God, I love Israel because, you know, the, because of all the reasons, because I fall in love with the idea of, you know, the Chai video, the Am Yisrael Chai video of the Kululam. I show that to my students. Like, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's not about, yay, I'm here because, you know, um, it's a safe place. It's like, thank you, Hashem, for, for, um, for giving, for, 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 for enabling the Jewish people to flourish after such devastation. And, and, and I think it's Rav Lau who says, who knows how much more beautiful this day could have been had we not had we had six million more Jews to to, to flourish it, but but it's but it's not about I'm here because I'm scared. It's 
wow, now I, 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 I fall in love, as Johnny says. And that's not a crutch. It's a real love that comes out of, out of that contrast. It's not necessarily a stick. Okay, so we're going to wrap up here. We're running out of time. We're going to keep trying to keep this short. We didn't talk about uh, the, the pull for rabbis or leadership. Uh, we will get to that next year, maybe. I want to wrap up by asking, uh, by, by turning to Johnny to ask him if he agrees about the push or the pull. But before I do that, I'm very serious about this, about this curriculum. I'm, I'm very serious enough that I've actually worked on it before. And if you're an educator and are interested in creating a, some kind of collaboration and putting together some fun, kind of formal curriculum, uh, I'd be happy to create such a group and work on it and think about it together with you. So reach out to me on all my, like, you know, WhatsApp or find a Gmail. And uh, I really hope that something will come of this. I honestly really believe that it's like that, you know, if, if, if that we'll do, we're doing our students and our children only well by giving them this perspective at a young age that they're able to really grapple with issues from a more informed place, not to preach, but to teach and to inform. That's, it's a passion of mine. And God willing, one of these years, I'll actually, I'll actually follow through and get it done. Johnny, I want you to talk about that idea. Respond to what Molly said about the, about the, um, about the heritage trips. Do you agree with her or would you like to see it be something beyond that? I think these heritage trips can be profoundly transformational. I didn't go when I was a, a young person, but I've been twice as an accompanying teacher, uh, both when I was teaching in the UK and also when teaching in a midrashah here. And I think they can be profound turning points in the lives of young people and older people for that matter. I agree though with Mali that ultimately it build, it should be building on a whole level of foundations of understanding what it means to be a Jew and it should be giving a further determination um, once you're already clear or have some sense of clarity as to what are Jewish values if that alone were to be, you know, the basis on which a person's Jewish identity uh, is rested, uh, I, I don't think that's particularly healthy, although it certainly has had an impact on the lives of many. So uh, I, I think that, let's speak just briefly more broadly, um, going to Poland is a profound thing. Coming to Israel can be a profound thing. What we need to do really, is making visits to Israel as impactful as visits to Europe. Too many people, you see, the thing is, people come here and they think they're having a vacation. They go to Poland, they're having a very profound educational trip. They need to come here and learn the country. And what that means is it also means to learn the cost of having this country. And just, I'll say one 30-second thing. I was in Kerembiavne. I arrived there proud of the end of August. It was Elul and Roshani and Kippa. My parents never let me go to Levias when I was in England. Baruch Hashem, my grandparents were alive by the time I came to make Aliyah. And they said, you don't need to go to Levias for distant relatives. The first Levi I ever went to was that of Nachshon Waxman mm. in October that year. Uh, it was on Motzei Shabbat. We were standing in Har Herzl, you know, uh, midnight as he's being buried with these wails of a parent. And it shook me, but not out of fear. It shook me out of recognition. This is what it took to create the state of Israel, to protect the state of Israel. But us standing together, Jews, looking out for each other, this is what's going to be the future of the Jewish people. We need to 
make sure that people recognize that there's educational lessons, profound educational lessons, happening on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis here. Lessons about building, but also lessons about loss. And not to detract, God forbid, from the essential memories and legacies and lessons and memories that we need to have from the Shah. That's without a question. We need to change the way people relate to Israel such that it is with understanding and with love. Really, it's what we're saying. With a depth of appreciation of what it means to be a Jew, but also a depth of, of feeling about what it means to have a state nowadays living in this extraordinary time, now celebrating 73 years, a place that we can call home. Wow. That's exactly what I was looking for, a beautiful way to end off. I want to thank my Rabbi Johnny Solomon, Rabbi Mali. My name is Ruben Spolter. I want to thank my son, Betach, for your music. I would like to wish everyone a Yom Atzimut Sameach, Chag Atzimut Sameach. You should all have a, a wonderful, enjoyable, and, and a healthy time. All right. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>